We arrive here today to debate at social distances from each other. There's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello and welcome again to Your Politics, our weekly look at the political toings and froings here in Leinster House. With me on your lawler today, Paul Cunningham, Sandra Hurley and David Murphy. It's been a shorter week due to the bank holiday, uh, but there hasn't really been any mayday relief from the government, has there, with this uh, ECB rate hike, continued pressure on uh, mortgage p- payers, on food prices, on energy prices. The pressure keeps on coming. The pressure keeps on coming and it's going to continue. So today we had the news that the European Central Bank had put up interest rates by a quarter of 1%. So the rate at which it's lending at is 3.25%. And then the banks will add on something to that. So uh, the European Central Bank is doing this to try to put a break on inflation. And so far within the eurozone, inflation is running at 7%. It was 6.9%. So it's still continuing to go up. So the European Central Bank will have to continue to increase interest rates. The Interesting thing that's happened today, the previous increases have been half a percent. This one is a quarter of a percent. So that indicates it's beginning to taper off. And uh, so potentially Mm -hmm. you could see another two uh, rate increases. Um, The other thing that everyone has to keep an eye on is what are the Federal Reserve in the United States, their central bank, what's it doing? What is the Bank of England doing? So um, in the US, rates are over 5%. In the UK, uh, rates are four and a quarter percent. And so what they'll want to do is they'll need to be kind of within that kind of territory. Otherwise, money will flow from one currency to another because money always flows to the currency that is a higher interest rate. So that's a huge factor too because if your currency mm-hmm. falls too much, then you're effectively you're importing inflation. You don't want that either. So therefore, we can see that there will probably be more rate increases to come. And that's the big picture. But in terms of, you know, its impact on all of those... And all of us, it's interesting when you start hearing politicians talking about the price of milk, the price of butter, what's good for the consumer, is it good for the farmer? And the other thing they're all talking about is the question people ask, why aren't my energy bills coming down faster? Yes, and I think the government doesn't have any easy answers here. When it comes to energy bills, it's very clear that wholesale prices have been coming down, but they're not going down for households. They have been cut in some places for businesses. And the government has been pointing to the fact that it is introducing a windfall tax, but that's not going to come in until September. They can use the proceeds from that to help fund cost of living measures. But it's not, again, it's not going to be that simple, tangible cut to people's bills that people really want to see. So what the coalition is doing is applying sort of public pressure, essentially telling the companies to lower Mm -hmm. their bills. But I don't think they have any strong tool here that they can really make the companies intervene. And that's where the difficulty lies. And we also have, Paul, you know, the Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath, kind of, you know, saying to the banks that they should be doing more for these customers, the particular customers on the variable rates and the tracker rates who are being hit hardest 
by these this increase in interest rates. Yeah, he had a particular um, focus at the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party last night where he was talking about individuals with mortgages with banks that sort of left during the financial crisis and had now been snapped up by international investors and also um, so-called vulture funds. And he said that the large retail banks can do more by either allowing them to switch back to retail banks or B, by buying some of those mortgages. But as you say, it was the state applying pressure on the banking sector to do something as opposed to the government itself going to take action. And today we heard an awful lot about the question of what the government might do on interest rates. And we heard that it's under consideration and that everything's on the table. But it was notable to hear the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar say that while they might examine it, it wasn't a promise that they were going to act. And he um, strategically said that they had to cut tax for people paying too much. So that clearly is the priority. Mm-hmm. And after that point, they would look at mortgage interest relief and then it would only be focused. So is it going to be focused on people in arrears? Would it be focused on tracker mortgages? People are paying immediately once the ECB moves. And that's uh, an interesting one because once again, Mr. Varadkar noted that those people had enjoyed yeah. nearly zero rates for a decade, suggesting maybe that he wasn't as influenced as someone like yeah. Pierce Doherty was with Sinn Féin who said there needs to be mortgage interest relief um, introduced now till the end of the year at least. An interesting Willie O'D this morning and you know, a veteran who normally has his ear very much uh, to the ground uh, saying that more has to be done Barra O'Brien hinting that mortgage interest relief is something that is being looked at in the run up to the budget you know and there is this you know when, you know, 10 billion sitting around in the government coffers. So the pressure, you can see the pressure starting to mount can't you? And it's early like we're only here we are in May we're talking Mm -hmm. about the budget. Except, you know, interest rates have been going up for quite some time at this stage and there's kind of three groups of people really here. There's people who are in arrears people who are in danger of falling into arrears, then separately you've got those mortgage holders whose mortgages have been bought by vulture funds, so-called vulture funds, and who in some cases are uh, are feeling the pain because they're paying very high rates of interest. And then you've got ordinary mortgage holders who again are under pressure because Mm -hmm. of higher energy bills, higher grocery bills, general inflation, and then the big problem of higher interest rates on top of it. So their household budgets are being eaten up. I think in terms of those different groups of people, the group of people you need to be most concerned about if you're sitting in government buildings is the people who are in arrears or in danger of going into arrears. Because we know from what's happened in the past, it can take a very long time to fix that yes. and it does require intervention and you're looking at insolvency arrangements and all of that they're not there yet it's mm-hmm. not quite like it was um, in the crash where people were falling into negative equity the level of negative negative equity in the system is much much lower now due to higher property prices but they need to keep an eye on it. It is interesting to see I mean you mentioned that in political discourse there's discussions between the opposition and the government parties over what the government can do but there isn't yet a bigger discussion in relation to the European Central Bank its mandate, as we know, mm-hmm. was to sort of try and keep price stability, but no one is going after them. Christine Lagarde said, A, we're going to increase it again. And she basically said, tough luck to anyone who is suffering because we have to proceed. But that's only because the ECB has got a narrow mandate. No one's talking about, is there something else that could be done? Well, the IMF thinks that the governments in Europe should be cutting back on their, their cost of living supports. But in terms of... Well, the ECB of, said it as well. Yes, they said yes. it to Michael McGrath he got a bit shirty about, mm-hmm. don't you tell me what I'm supposed to do. But it, that really hasn't advanced. And then you're back to um, what President Higgins is saying about the uh, about economists and economics and that way yes. of looking at the world, aren't you? Well, inflation hits the poor. And that is really the bottom line. That if you are on, it doesn't matter what country you're, you're in in Europe, 
Um, if you're on a fixed income yeah. and you're struggling to pay and inflation arrives along, you know, you really suffer an awful lot. And that's what these interest rates are about. It's about actually helping the poor. The problem is the cure can sometimes be worse than the disease for some people. There's one other issue I want to uh, talk about before we move off the whole cost of living stuff. And it was interesting this morning, John Fitzgerald actually noted yes. economist uh, and also um, uh, Climate uh, Advisor, uh, he's on the government's Chair of the Climate, Chair Advisory, of the Climate Advisory Council. Thank you. Um, and well, he was Miles. talking about the fa- former Chair of the Climate <laughs> Advisory Council. But he, he was talking about the fact that basically what we're seeing is the EU energy market isn't working. And it was interesting as well today, the Social Democrats in the door claiming that regulation isn't working. Yeah, it's um, described as, it was Holly Kearns, the um, SOC Dems leader, and she described the entities that we have, which are supposed to be monitoring these businesses as toothless and that the regulation simply wasn't working. She pointed to Sandra mentioned that wholesale prices have gone down by 41% and the retail prices haven't moved. Now, what the companies will say, the energy companies, is that they bought in to contracts over a certain length of time. So even though the whole price, whole um, the wholesale price but might be low now. we don't have transparency on that. That's what John Fitzgerald was pointing out this but morning. But we're told it's very complicated, Anya. And it'll probably Mears be coming like down you and in the autumn, be able isn't to that right? It. But they are saying that there is... Uh, engineering going on at EU level to make it more transparent and decouple this idea that prices are attached to gas, which is a particular problem for us because that's the gas that's um, costing us so much. It's fiendishly complicated, but clearly uh, a a lot of uh, pressures uh, building up in that area uh, as well. I want to talk about... um, in some ways, it's kind of round two, really, isn't it, of the Niall Collins statement and the uh, Thonish to remark on lambasting uh, when he was lambasting the ditch uh, in the door last week. And we had, uh, if you like, chapter two this week between um, people before profits, uh, Paul Murphy and Tisha Leo Radker, Sandra. Yes, uh, yesterday, a pretty uh, bitter exchange, I think, in uh, in the door when... Um, People before profits. Paul Murphy again called for Niall Collins to come in and answer questions about that land sale. Uh, and he said uh, that Niall Collins hadn't answered all the outstanding questions. Uh, and Leo Radker came back at him and out of nowhere kind of segued into this thing. Well, what about you? You never an- you detained two women in a car is what he said. And he was referring to that incident in Jobstown in November 2014 when Joan Burton and her assistant were trapped in a car for two and a half hours. Now, it has to be pointed out that Paul Murphy and others were tried for false imprisonment and they were found not guilty. But uh, Leo Radker said that Paul Murphy needed to come back in and answer questions on that. And Paul Murphy said that that was absolutely scandalous. It was an abuse of privilege. Then Mary Lou MacDonald um, also said it was disgraceful. Leo Radker came back at her. So it was pretty rancorous. Interesting today, there's been some follow-ups. Uh, Paul Murphy saying that he is willing to come in and answer questions, but he said he would only do it if Niall Collins also came back in for a Q&A. And we got even a further follow-up to that because Leo Radker was asked about that and he said that he thought it was... Um, there should be no conditions attached to it. He said it was really unethical for Paul Murphy to say something like that. He said that Paul Murphy, he believed, did have questions to answer about that incident and he should come back in. But something else I would add about all of this is I don't see the rest of the opposition other than Paul Murphy jumping up and down about the Niall Collins stuff. It seems to be pretty much put to bed. Sinn Féin never did a huge amount of running on it and Labour today, Aon O'Reardon was asked about it and he said... They do believe that Niall Collins still has questions to answer, but they think there are other much more important things out there. So Paul Murphy, Mm -hmm. I think, seems to be a bit of a lone voice there. 
But yeah. Count Corla has a decision to make. Yes, because um, the CEO of Web Summit, Paddy Cosgrave, um, sent in a letter of complaint um, about the remarks which um, Michal Martin had made the previous week um, about him. So that um, the procedure is that um, such a letter will go to the Count Corla and he has to consider it. And so the question um, that the Count Corley faces, is he going to make a determination on the issue himself or is he going to hand it over to the Committee on Parliamentary Procedure and Oversight? And the question has to be, is that something that the Count Corley feels he can do because he was in the chair at the time when that bust up was happening and when mm-hmm. Mihal Martin was making the comments and the question would be one of the things that Paddy Cosgrave has said is that he didn't believe that the Count Corley protected his interests. So he's in a bit of a di- difficult position, the Count Corley. There isn't any deadline in this. We don't know when he's going to make that determination. But the question would be, is he going to deal with it himself or is he going to hand it over to committee? And it's a particularly interesting one in light of the fact that the Supreme Court in recent years has been quite clear about the obligation on the earth and, the, you know, the freedom that privilege brings, but also the responsibility in terms of uh, individuals who aren't there and yeah, able exactly. to defend and themselves. Particularly that idea of uh, if you are named and the named individual isn't in the chamber, whether it's the Cairn Call or last Cairn Call or anyone standing in for them, we all know that uh, intervention which is made is you can't name people who weren't able to detain themselves and it's something that you would hear mm-hmm. uh, regularly. But it wasn't that um, uh, the Thornish's comments were directed at the CEO of Web Summit. It was more at the Ditch um, online magazine, um, which is part funded by um, Web Summit. So that's the, the, the context there. There's a nuance there. All right. Um, who's going to be watching the coronation this weekend? Michelle O'Neill's going to be going and they're going to be speaking a little bit of Gwelgar, aren't they, as well as eating quiche? Who knows the most about the coronation? <laughs> Some people have no choice whether or not they're going to um, they're going to watch it. But it's it's funny, you know. Um, Why are you watching it as political coverage editor? Well, you know, I have a broad brief. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a funny feeling you just want to watch it. That's what's really going on You'll here. give us a full report next week, Dave. Yeah, I don't want to be outed quite yet. <laughs> Um, yes, but it is it is interesting the way there's, you know, Michelle O'Neill is doing this as reach out, um, you know, and kind of going as first minister designate of a parliament that's, you know, not sitting and not functioning. Uh, and which, uh, again, we've had the local elections going on in the UK. We're in the middle of the local election campaign in Northern Ireland. So politically, actually, that there is a lot that's fascinating. Well, it, I think it's really a continuation of that famous handshake between Martin McGuinness and... Um, Queen Elizabeth of England, when we've seen that the monarchy in Britain has tried to do something in relation to um, the peace process and the troubles. And they've tried to be part of that bridge building that Mary McAleese famously spoke about. And I think part of um, the reason for Michelle O'Neill attending is a kind of an acknowledgement that uh, while the people may have changed, um, the process remains in place, uh, a process of, I guess, healing, because mm-hmm. let's face it, um, the British monarchy were a target for the IRA during the Troubles, and that is over. And I think that's what her attendance is saying. The peace process is continuing. Although we've had the and we've had the recent opinion polling, haven't we, showing um, a, a decrease in attachment to the monarchy uh, in Northern Ireland. But again, the backdrop, you know, of a very divided uh, society still. We saw, you know, during this campaign, uh, a young single mother uh, having to leave her home in Lurgan because of 
you know, a sectarian incident mm -hmm. which is being uh, investigated, investigated now and which is before the, the courts. But it's just a sign of the tensions that are there and you're going to have, you know, one community, one group of people you know, celebrating their attachment to the crown on Saturday. So it, it's quite a volatile time. It is, but I think within the nationalist community, although they may not be celebrating their attachment um, uh, to the crown. They watch for the frocks. They, they, they're <laughs> still fascinated by it. But it is true that the North is still a very, very divided society. Why is that? Well, they're still all going to separate schools, so it starts at a young age. But you could also say that even if, uh, even if they're not going to participate in the um, ceremony itself, they're just not actually going to get upset about it either. It's just like it's happening over there. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, we don't have to necessarily say that this is an issue which divides mm -hmm. one side of the community is going to participate and enjoy and others are just going to let it happen. Um, we had uh, the Donald in town this week after the Biden visit. One former president following. Sandra's wearing red here, by the way. Another. This is yeah. clear indication. You don't have the hat, though. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I did spot a, a MAGA hat, uh, I think, on the news yesterday. Um, yeah, I'm kind of amazed by the level of access that journalists are getting to Donald Trump because he spoke to journalists last night. He seems to have spoken to them at length today. He has been ranting about that civil case, the rape case that's going on in New York at the moment. Uh, I'm kind of amazed that journalists have been able to get so close to him, given that he is a former US president. He has got that Secret Service detail with him, but he seems to be very available. Has to be said from some of the news reports, there seems to be a lot of goodwill towards him in West Clare. He's seen as a good employer, all the rest of it. So, uh, I mean, if you think back to when he came... To Ireland when he was president, you know, there was massive protests. It's, it's totally different now. But he is somebody who we know has declared he wants to run again in 2024. So he's likely to remain in the news, obviously, that whole time. Yeah. And it's remarkable. I mean, he is the front runner for the Republican mm. nomination right now. Ron DeSantis has been having all kinds of problems with Disney and with media and mm. everybody yeah. else. And despite the legal cases, despite the investigations, and there is a path to the White House, you know, there is a way yeah. back for him. There is a way back for him. I don't think anyone discounts him, but there is a sense that as these legal cases mount, we still have to deal with the Georgia issue where it was suggested by um, the then president that certain number of votes had to be found, um, that that actually could be the most severe test of his ambitions to become um, president again. Uh, one thing that was worth noting as well this week, uh, Karas Saivin, we were talking about housing and the row about uh, the moving of Ukrainian refugees uh, from there and the locals campaign against it. But it shows, you know, we're all waiting for this spring offensive in, in the war in Ukraine when it's expected that Ukraine will, will mount some kind of counterattack against yeah. uh, the Russian occupation. Uh, and that could lead to um, an increase in the numbers of refugees coming here again. It's just interesting that this is still a, an issue. Yeah, it's interesting as well that, um, you know, in some communities we've seen protests about um, people, refugees coming into the communities. And now we're seeing protests about um, uh, refugees from war in Ukraine potentially leaving. And it just goes to show the level of community support there is and I guess sympathy and understanding for the um, refugees from Ukraine and how they've knitted into that community. Like I think w now we're a year into this, some of us would know people who've um, got who, who fled the war in Ukraine, they've got jobs, their children have settled into schools and um, they, they, you know, they're adding to the communities mm -hmm. that they're in. And at the same time, there is this difficulty whereby we have seen over the past 12 months a significant increase in the numbers um, seeking international protection and how the government 
balances all of that off. We are obviously seeing a dip in terms of the numbers coming in, but I think that the accommodation situation is still very, very tight and very difficult. Yeah, just one add on to that. Um, the uh, Justice Minister, Simon Harris, put out some statistics which are going to a Cabinet subcommittee today um, that relates to those seeking international protection. And between um, January and March, there was a 50% reduction in the numbers. So there does seem to be something going on there when it comes to international protection. But as you say, that's... Um, reduction number which would ease the stress on the government when it comes to accommodation mm. could be completely blown out of the water if more refugees from Ukraine come to the country and they don't require visas or anything else they just have to arrive. It, it doesn't seem to be completely clear why there's been such a drop. It, it has no. been speculated I think the department is saying that it's probably due to these increased security checks at airports. There's also anecdotal evidence that the message has gone out that it's the accommodation, it's difficult to get accommodation in Ireland, but it certainly has eased the number of international protection mm -hmm. people coming in. And David there was mentioning how much of a welcome there's been in Karasivine for people coming from Ukraine, but there is a difficulty at official level in housing international protection applicants versus housing people from Ukraine. And yes. there's a real difficulty from refugees from outside Europe that the communities seem more reluctant to take them in. Because... There is a question, isn't there, about the difference response to somebody who's, you know, a white woman or somebody who's, you know, an African male or a Middle Eastern male. And this is the question of, you know, how much welcome and how profound the welcome and is the welcome mm -hmm. equal for everyone? And, and, and some of those questions uh, have been asked uh, this week. Uh, is there anything else? Uh, was there anything at committees or anything in terms of legislation of note this week that struck anybody? Oh, one we think I'm waiting to see is we did have this um, new Shannon committee, which is going to be looking at um, sort of EU regulations coming over and um, it is yet to sit. So I'm just waiting to see that committee because it's going to be fascinating. Um, it sounds really boring. EU legislation arriving to Ireland, the committee is going to examine it. But um, if those uh, laws are not implemented by the right time, then huge fines can rack up. Mm -hmm. And so the question would be, how much fines have racked up? Who's racked up the worst? When is it coming? When are the dates? I think once the committee gets up and running, it could be a really interesting one to watch. But as it currently stands, there is no date for it to sit. But we do know who the chair and the deputy chair are, yes. don't we? That yes, was, that was uh, Martin Conway was yes. going to be in the deputy chair was going to be the former Cahir look of the Shannon. So Mark Daly. So um like So was Michael McDougall disappointed there? Was there some speculation he might Sphinx -like, have been interested? I think is the yes, we heard <laughs> this. He didn't even go that far, but the, the talk of the town had been that um, Michael McDougall would make a fascinating chair, um, given that he was, you know, former Attorney General, former Mr Justice. And then again, if you took another way, if he was chair, he might have had to be even handed. But he is a committee member, so now he won't have to be even-handed. He can say what he likes. So once again, it's definitely a committee to watch. I think the other thing that was interesting this week was the poll from uh, the Business Post and Red Sea. Um, because over the past few weeks, I think Fine Gael, particularly as they're holding the Taoiseach's office, had quite a lot of negative flack in terms of the lapsing of the eviction ban. And then Sinn Féin had quite a lot of flack in terms of the outcome of the Regency trial um, because of the evidence given by their former councillor, Jonathan Dowdall, who, who's now also a convicted criminal. And, you know, people were wondering what's going to be the effect on both those parties of those two different things. And according to that poll, there hasn't been a negative effect for either party. And in fact, uh, despite the lapsing of the eviction ban, overall, the support for the three government parties taken together has actually gone up. 
Um, so that, I think that that's that's interesting. Um, maybe people aren't really thinking about what way they're going to vote yet. Um, but Sinn Féin remains the strongest party by way of uh, support indicated in, mm. in an election, yeah. in, a, in a poll at 31%. But even though maybe it is the case, uh, and obviously we, we, a campaign matters in any election, so everything can uh, can turn on that or pivot on it. But maybe the public view is that no one believes that the politicians are going to get on top in housing, irrespective of what party is in government. So well, therefore, what, the that polls was don't one move. of the findings in the Red Sea poll, wasn't it? That there, I mean... Or was it there the was Sunday a, Independent? Was it, Red, the most recent one was the Red Sea um, Business Post poll. And okay. was, wasn't that the one that had the headline about a, a majority? It was 40-something percent versus 36 percent, I think, that yeah. uh, thought Sinn Féin uh, wouldn't be able to do better on solving the housing you crisis. You could look at it another way and way? say only Sinn Féin voters think that Sinn Féin will solve the housing crisis. <laughs> yes, it all depends on how you interpret it. But it is interesting that for all, you know, the various controversies, the various rows, the various, mm. you know, calls for resignations, resignations and all of that that's been going on in here, that the polls have continued remarkably steady post-COVID. They're, they're very steady yeah, and, and that is remarkable. And I think... When we come back in September, it's a little bit away, but I think that's when things are going to get become really concentrated because you are facing into those local elections, which are the dry run for the general election. And then I think much more attention will be placed on the polls and much more emphasis, on, I think, on just bigger attacks between the parties. Because yeah. at the moment, it's been a quiet enough week politically here, but you're absolutely right. The polls have been kind of steady. Sinn Féin, other parties would say they would take comfort from the fact that they think that Sinn Féin has kind of plateaued, that there's a limit to their support. They can't get any higher than that kind of 30-something. You see, this is the yeah. question. But I'm wondering are the polls telling the political parties that they're all playing to their bases a mm. little bit too much and, and actually if people want to start, you know, shifting the ground a little, maybe a well, little bit more persuasion one, or reach out. The one, the one qualification to that is Fianna Fáil. Fianna Fáil, depending on what poll you're looking at, is either sort of mid-20s or in teens or early 20s and teens. So there's been a... I know a, which one they prefer. <laughs> so that's sort of... The, the other thing that's going on that's interesting is that um, in leaders' questions, you can see Leo Varadkar when he takes gets criticism from Sinn Féin and the Social Democrats and people before profit. He tends to go in, studs up with his reaction, um, you know, fairly robust debate. But with when Labour criticise him, he reacts completely differently and he says... That's a really interesting point you raise. I'm glad you brought that up. And you can see there's a much, he's trying to offer a much warmer mm -hmm. response to Labour than he is to the other yeah. opposition parties. And you wonder if he's building alliances for the what may happen after the next Except election. Except when they put down confidence motions in the government and then things change. Yeah, he had a cut out of Anna Bacic recently, oh, didn't he, over Labour's track record in coalition with Fine Gael in an oh, austerity he, government. He got stuck in, all right. Yes, so. yes, all right. Well, that's it. That's our meanderings for this week. Like, subscribe and follow for the latest and we'll be back with your politics again next Thursday. Till then, goodbye.